0: So uh, Todd Rister selling. he was the editor of the Water Ski Magazine for a couple of decades or I don't know how long it was, but um, he asked me one time, I was like, what was the trigger? Like there's, there's some sort of trigger that you had where like things changed, where you really got addicted to it. And my addiction came from when I learned that I could adjust my equipment and I got better. Like I could feel the difference. Like I went out there and like I felt the difference And I got better, like I gained I skied around more buoys or whatever, whatever it was, when I realized that I was in control of my own fate out in the course. That was the end all be all for me.
1: Welcome back to the water ski podcast episode three. I just landed from, um, San Francisco, California, where I was, uh, there competing at the California pro Am, 17th edition. Um, I can't remember. Maybe this is not my fourth time, fifth time, something like that, but I hadn't been there in a few years. We hadn't been in Brentwood in the original site in a few years. Um, so it was a s- strong, fun weekend of water skiing. Uh, personally, not very strong. I prepared pretty well. I was skiing well, and then I got there, misgrabbed the handle, two ball at 39 first pass, and basically went to three with one hand and one wrist. And so I ended up somehow zigzagging three at 39. And uh, that tournament being like qualifying for the finals, you need to have a strong average across the two rounds. And so I knew that with that score, I was virtually out of the game. Um, And then the second round went even worse. But uh, besides that, uh, just got back from San Francisco uh, and uh, on Saturday evening, I had a chance to um, interview a very good friend of mine, uh, Nick Nicolino, as we call him in Italy. Uh, Nick Parsons, Nick, also known as the Yeti, is um, one great water skier, a lot of success under his belt, few pro tournaments, World Cup stops, wins, Uh, I believe he topped the 2010 elite ranking, like the whole tour, Uh, but Nick especially is a super interesting character, and I was very eager to do this interview. since I knew he was going to be in California for the tournament, and so we did this interview roughly around nine p.m., nine thirty p.m. after the barbecue that Debbie and Greg Badal always put for the ski, put up for the skier on, on Saturday evening. We were looking at the lake, just a few lights, two camping chairs, and we just uh, started talking. Um, this is i've known nick for a lot of years and this is a very particular nick that transpires from the microphone it's not uh the usual let's say um extrovert and and uh, i don't want to say loud but uh very out there nick parsons that all of us skiers know him for He's a much more collected uh and uh introspective nick which I think makes this interview, uh, all the more interesting and hopefully all the more enjoyable for you guys who are about to hear this. Um, so yeah, a few words before we get into this interview. Thank you so much for those who are constantly donating to the podcast. I'm recording this and I recorded Nick's interview with, uh, my new microphone, which I hope you guys enjoy the quality. Um, I'm also, Uh, keeping track very systematically of how the podcast is doing across different platforms. If you are listening to this and you haven't subscribed, please take Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever you have, whatever you use, subscribe because that makes the podcast go up in charts and uh, gives exposure to the sport, which is really the whole point of why I'm doing this. Um, But yeah, without further ado, here's the interview with Nicolino Parson. All right, Nick. Well, welcome to the Water Ski Podcast. Thank you for giving me this interview. Um, Excited to have you on the podcast. Mm. Thank you, Mateo. Okay. So one of the big reasons that I wanted to interview you is your passion about Europe, and you've been coming to Europe to do a lot of tournaments. Uh, But before we get there, I'd be interested in knowing how did you get into water skiing? Okay, so for me, water skiing was uh, was father
0: based. My father got into water skiing, freeskiing. My my father had a bakery, and so his my grandfather did well. So he had a, he had a boat, and uh, my father got into uh, out free skiing. and then he found a course, and then what he found was a private lake, one of the first man-made lakes like in the U.S. like like 79 or 81. They built one in Utah. And my father heard about this. He was, he he was, my dad was a good free skier. So he found this place and went out there and was like, so what what do you go around these buoys and you do this sort of thing? He's like, yeah. Okay. So at that time, my father did well enough with his baker that he had started post my grandfather's. And um, he's like, how do I get in this? And he got into it. So, like, I was born in 82, and uh, they did, like, I grew up with my father learning how to walk, like, my dad skied,
1: I learned how to ski together. Like, like. Okay, so it's kind of like your dad got into the sport pretty much around the time that you started into it. Was it kind of like a joint venture, you know, like you guys sort of learned the skiing trade together? I was I was my dad's best buddy, Yes. Exactly what it was like. It was like we progress together.
0: Okay. We learn together. There you go.
1: And so, tell me, like, when do you start skiing? At what age? When do you do your first tournament? Like, what were the early years like? So what I, the rumor that I was told always
0: was that. So in 1982, my dad found out about this lake, and it's out in, you know, the wild west of Utah. Right. So he goes out there with my mom, who's pregnant time with, with me you know it's like we got to see this place like I heard I I I can go out there. I can water ski I, I want to know about this this thing where you go in the buoys and you go out there so he goes out there. And he's obsessed with it. And so what I was been told what I was told is that is that yeah my dad does it. The day I was born from that point on how do I get into this? And so my dad found a way to get in there. And from then on my dad and I have been skiing forever.
1: That's pretty cool, man. And, you know, it's interesting how, you know, you're obviously from Salt Lake City, Utah, and I'm from Italy. If I hear Salt Lake City, Utah, I think snow skiing. You know, I don't think water skiing. And yet, your dad found a, a way to water ski, and you followed along. When Do you remember, like, your, your early days? Like, you're, you know, getting on one ski, trying the course for the first time, that sort of thing?
0: I very much remember that. I very much remember that. I remember... I remember our summers were short and I remember like progressing through skiing and everything like, like making it all the way to the college level and like thinking that water skiing was not international at all. And then once I did make it to college level, I met Canadians. I was like, why are they even skiing? They're Canadians. Like, are you kidding me? I'm like, I'm from Utah and I'm already from the North. I can't even believe it's happening. But collegiate water skiing opened my eyes. I like, I didn't, I had no idea water skiing was a, uh, international sport as far as the tournament scene went
1: yeah and and yet you've skied so many international tournaments over the years right like you've been coming to europe a bunch you went to world championships around the world you got to do world cups you know around like all over the world like what i guess you know obviously you're a competitor and so you're going abroad but me it always seemed like for you it was more than that it was more than just like skiing six buoys in this remote part of the world in asia it was there was more to it there was i mean there was an opportunist situation that happened
0: like for me like i mean there was good water skis the guy moved to utah and i took advantage of that and that guy funded me to go across the world and i tell the stuff and there was the athleticism side of my Situation where like, okay, I was good enough to like be funded and be an athlete and 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 do well with that sort of thing. So um, there's people who move to Europe, to the Florida, and or they move to warmer climates and they and they. But I, I was lucky enough to to have both, yeah. like the athleticism and the funding and and and
1: it was yeah. Yeah and. Do you remember, like, your first international tournament, the one where, because you said, like, it opened your eyes to the fact that this sport is happens worldwide. What was your first international tournament where you went and went, like, wow, this is, like, a worldwide thing going on? So I went,
0: I had a semester in Arizona State, and uh, that was, like, my, maybe my, I was 19. I was, like, my second semester of, of college, and at that moment, I, I had no idea that, that skiing was an international sort of thing. And uh, we went to the uh, Collegiate Nationals, and there was, at that time, there was DeGasprey and there was Will Asher. Well, DeGasprey at that time didn't even speak English. Like, I remember shaking his hand, and and he literally didn't speak English. And Will Asher was there from Britain, well, England, obviously, and and, um, it was, I, I, like, they they beat me, and, like, I was like, who, I didn't know that they existed, and, I'm like, I didn't know existed, I didn't know water skiing existed outside of the U.S., and it was the most crazy, it was the most eye-opening thing in my life, but what I realized is that, like, they knew that water skiing was international, and that they were competing against U.S. guys, right and so it was, um, I don't know it reinvigorated my whole water skiing life because i was almost borderline forced to ski because my dad did it and like this is what we do we go and you know this is our summer we yeah yeah
1: and yet you you know you get into collegiate skiing which you know i'm sure that, that was an interesting time for you and then you got to meet all these international people who for better or worse, they were doing the same thing that you were doing. You, they were trying to get through two red buoys and turn six and shorten the line and continue that until that didn't work. Mm. But I almost, almost felt like they they were at Louisiana or whatever
0: college they're at on a scholarship because they wanted it. And I went to Arizona State because, I mean, it was a family affair. Like, we, I grew up skiing
1: with it. This is what you do. Boom, boom, boom. I was just going with the, the motions right and uh and so you, by then you're a teenager getting into your 20s um you had already i'm guessing represented the u.s at some tournaments
0: there, when i was 19 I, I think i went to the uh, under 21 Worlds there in chile in 03 and i remember being completely unaware of that like i mean i went to a couple of tournaments out here in california and I, I remember like running mid 39 and and swimming in the dock and walking down the dock, and not aware of what was going on. But the, what um, I forget his name, but his the the coach approached me and was like, "You know, Nick, you're you're good enough to go to the 21 Worlds. They're having them in down in Chile. Would you like to go?" And I was like, "I didn't know that's a thing. It Is It even existed?" Right. And. Uh, I was like, yeah, I'd like to go, whatever. But so, I had to sort that out, and I ended up going. And but that, those those three years from when I was like nineteen and twenty-one were eye-opening because I I didn't I literally didn't know water skiing was international. Yeah,
1: and and yet it is right. Like, and there's plenty of nations that compete in it. There's plenty of nations where you can go and compete at like or two. Um, and I think what has always struck me about you is that you've taken, like possibly since you discovered that, you took advantage of that opportunity as much as possible. You know, like I'm from Europe. I'm obviously like six, eight years younger than you, and I've seen you at so many European tournaments.
0: Well, at that moment where I I was, at that moment when I figured that that water skiing was international and I could attend them, it was like okay, well now, now I'm learning something. Now I'm learning the culture, the language, and like and like what's going on, and like I'm learning different people, and that I'm competing against Europe. I'm competing against people around the world. Like that that was a different motivation than where it was, where I was living at home in, in the U.S. and like, you know, my dad was quasi forcing me to
1: ski. You know, right. I mean that, So at that point, that was a changing point in my life. So basically skiing, and correct me if I'm wrong, it came from something that you were sort of forced into, possibly you enjoyed, oh. but kind of something that you were channeled into to then finding out this whole international side of things, and now you have your own motive, I'm yeah. guessing, to, I guess, explore the world?
0: Well, it's not necessarily exploring, but it was. it was, at that point, it was like, man, okay, this is something new. This is new, and this is new, and like... This is an equipment-based sport. This is international. And I, I was learning something new at the time. And so, like, that was a whole new life for me. And,
1: and, and I want to get into that because, like, obviously, you are one of the guys, in my opinion, that knows the most about equipment nowadays. And, uh, and you mentioned that, like, it was a, an international sport and an equipment-based sport. And uh, you collaborated with a brand of skis for a, for a long time, which I'm guessing you learned a lot of the trade there. Mm. Um, what were some of your initial, sort of like, I guess, discoveries about the equipment we use? Because we, we are a bit of a weird sport, in my opinion. Like, we are, we're not snow skiing where there's like hundreds of millions of dollars invested in, in high tech research on the skis, but we're not surfing where we're still hand shaping stuff. So where do we stand and what were your early learnings about this?
0: Mm. You know, my early learnings were probably like, you know, we're here now in uh, Diablo Shores and in like, uh, California. And I, I remember watching a video where Andy Mapple and, and, and Greg Biddle did a, a video or a, a learning video or something about, about skiing. And uh, Andy Mapple himself said, He's like I tend to follow sports that are individual based, equipment based, and not team sport based, and it was eye opening for me. Like I, I, watched. I mean, I was, I was 15 years ago, and I was like, why would he follow? And he gave examples like Formula One or golf or and, and stuff like that. And I was like, I was like, why, why? Why does he follow that? I don't, I don't get it. Like, I mean,
1: yeah, like we're not following like uh, basketball. Yeah,
0: or yeah. For yeah, for example, perfect. Yeah, basketball. Like, why does he not follow that and Like. And it was a I mean it hit me. it was like I was like, yeah, why does he follow this stuff? And so like like Formula One is a is a great example. Like there are there's great equipment and there's great athletes. And uh, I, I I found that very profound. Right.
1: And so you got into it and you had a chance to not only ski at a high level, but also to be involved with the construction and development of the equipment that you were using, mm-hmm. right? And um, what, were, like, what were you eager to learn at first? Because I'm assuming you got involved and you were, like, eager to learn certain things. Uh, so uh,
0: Todd selling he was the editor of the Water Ski Magazine for a couple of decades or I don't know how long it was. But um, he asked me one time, I was like, what was the trigger? Like, there's, there's some sort of trigger that you had where, like, things changed, where you really got addicted to it. And my addiction came from when I learned that I could adjust my equipment and I got better. Like, I could feel the difference. Like, I went out there and, like, I felt the difference and I got better. Like, I gained, I skied around more buoys or whatever, whatever it was. When I realized that I was in control of my own fate out in the course, that
1: was the end-all be-all for me. Right. So, not only you were... Like in charge of your, like in control of your destiny as an athlete, like your moves and your technique, but also like you had an opportunity to control the equipment that you were on. Yes. Right. So that was, I guess that was the first realization, but let's go a little bit more in specifics. Like what are some of the initial things that you wanted to learn that I'm guessing you learned? What were some of the initial, so say that again. So like, you know, I'm guessing shapes, uh bevels like the technical stuff like flex rocker like what were you eager to learn at first and what were some of your initial discoveries
0: well i think i was very eager to learn like what the previous generation knew so i was always very aware of like people that were older than me that i was starting to beat Like, I I realized there was a point where, like, people had been in the sport for a decade or more. And I was still young, but still beating them. And I was like, why am I beating them? What's going on? Am I better than them? Or is it my knowledge of the equipment? What is going on? And, I mean, to be honest, I think it was almost knowledge of equipment. It was, and the equipment was evolving itself. And, uh yeah that's a good question
1: yeah and so i'll try to probe you a little bit like you were working for dave good and like that branded a lot of what i would consider revolutionary or out of the norm shapes like there was a lot of experimenting for a few years at good going on where like there were new shapes new things that people had never seen and i'm thinking like the wide ride or you know like very strange things that were coming out of the brand and nobody was really I guess trying as hard what was your involvement and did you learn anything from that experience
0: I was fortunate where there was Rossi Chris Rossi who had worked with uh, Dave Good before me and pretty much I found skis that were modified or worked on that were basically in the trash or in the trash pile and i went in the back of the factory and and scoped them out i was like why are these here what's going on why why are these like this right. and uh i put the effort in to go out and try them and learned from those and built on those things so i mean since it was an evolution i learned from my predecessors predecessors and uh move from that point
1: yeah and i guess one of the interesting thing to me about skiing is like about skis sorry is that maybe you sometimes try to narrow down your attention on on one characteristic say rocker let's take one rocker and and then you change something but then it's like it's funny how it's like all a synergy right like it It's never just one thing that would determine a better or worse feeling, right? Like there's always like, it's hard to isolate variables. That's what I'm trying to say. So when you're thinking of a new shape, because now you're with D3 skis, right? Um, When you're trying to come up with a new ski, or you're trying to better a ski that you guys are already producing, what is your process? Like what do you go through in order to come up with a new shape? So I I skied for good
0: skis for years and then the the biggest like growth in my whole knowledge of like What is under my feet? was changing to a different company and how they produce skis and At the point now where I am at is like I I'm in a better place than I ever was like I have I am complete understanding of what's going on my feet currently but it's, but it's a, it's a group. It's it, it, it's a joint effort, and so I'm not the driving force. There's there's multiple driving forces going into us key and what people want, and uh, that's how it is with every company. And it's what is interesting, is to speak with different people from different companies and and their points of view, because sometimes it can get very secretive, which bothers me. I mean, you, you, you want to have a conversation with, uh, people from other companies and it's like, well, we're on secret stuff. I mean, we can't talk about that. I don't know.
1: Right. Right. Um, yeah. And I guess, you know, competition and, and, you know, I want to try to sell more skis than the new guys and all that sort of thing. But like, I can see from someone like you who really values equipment and what, you know, like even just the evolution of what would be a better ski, that's got to be a little blocking, right? Like you, you want to try to absorb what others are experiencing and that might not be viable all the time.
0: I mean, yeah,
1: the older I get,
0: the less I see, the more of the athlete in the actual athlete, as I do see the, what's under their feet. I mean, maybe, I mean, maybe I'm being pessimistic. I don't, I don't know, but I see. I see what's underneath their feet, and I see more what the athlete is doing across the course.
1: Yeah, and I and I guess you know, like uh, you'll talk with, I mean, any athlete, I will, any skier, I will tell you, like the the equipment is crucial, like, and every skier will recognize it. But then eventually, we all fall into, you know, I need to change my gait or I need to move my hips here and there. Whereas it seems you are able. To stay very much focused on what's under the feet and the equipment that we're using
0: you could um, take it from a consumer uh, perspective like I want to buy the best product that gives me the most buoys so what is that product I mean I mean like what, whatever is inherent in the athlete do I, I, need, I need to try everything out there and and learn from that perspective. So, um, it's 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 a it's a two dimensional sport. It's the athlete, and
1: it is the equipment. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go into a little bit more like I guess specific details. What was was there a ski in your career that you tried and then you went. What's going on here? There's something to this. I need to understand it. Like positive, you know. Like one ski that you tried, you went like, "Whoa, this is." There's something to this that I need to understand.
0: There's been a couple skis. There has. So let's see. There was the Ho Monza. I remember trying that ski. The Ho Monza was was the first. I think the first ski. Like I ran like um, 39 or or 1075 to our your friends. Like like back to back. I was like I was like, how is this happening? Why why what what is like that was eye opening for me. It's like what what has changed underneath my feet that I'm running more boogies I was like, why why? I don't I, I and it was because I hadn't changed. So it was it, it was fascinating to me. Like the smallest of differences can make such a huge impact. Um so H.O. Monza. And then um, I remember trying... Well, there's there good water skis, not to promote that brand, because I don't ski in it, but... Um, at, yeah. Uh, interesting topic. Interesting topic. Let's see. Well, I'm in lots of words, but... You know, at the time, the, the there was... I we made some wide rides with uh with good. And uh I ran a lot of thirty nines with them with Perfect Pass, but that was a, a different uh speed control system and things have changed since then.
1: Yeah, like there's and that's the other thing about our sport, like it's there's so many variables that at the end of the day skiers are gonna test skis, And skiers have to deal with everything else that changes, boats uh, skin in different sites, speed control systems. So it's always hard to isolate, right? It's always hard to say, okay, it's it's this the next thing or is this what's going to make me run more buoys or is this what's going to make, I guess as a person who works for a company, whatever that is, is this what's going to make a lot of people run a lot more buoys so that we can sell skis, right? Mm.
0: So I, I feel fortunate to be like in a circle where I can communicate with say, Dave Wingerer, who is programming and designing skis for HO, or um, I work for a guy named Will Bush and, and Creed, who are uh, uh, designing skis for D3. And uh, you know, we can communicate freely. And well, I'm not sure where I was going with this, but it's, it's I'm glad I worked my way into this where I like, it, I've learned. Mike can head this out, but I'm not sure where we're at.
1: Yeah. No, look, um, I, I'm just happy to talk to you, man, because I think you are one of the most complete skiers that I know um, in terms of interest, and um, you know a ton about skis. And I heard you, like, cause just to give you some context, we're at the California Pro AM, mm-hmm. uh, we're sitting on the side of the lake. Uh, We didn't ski very well today, so we don't get to ski tomorrow. Um, And we're here just talking about skiing. And one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about is your knowledge and your journey into understanding equipment better, right? The other side that I want to know is, let's face it, compared to most American skiers, you ski a lot of tournaments abroad, and you have a fascination with skiing beyond just U.S., Mm. right and um, just share with me some of your best memories like best memories some tournaments that you did in europe or australia or russia that was that stayed with you obviously you you went back home but you cherished that so my father
0: and i we grew up like kind of idolizing
1: like uh,
0: individual sports you know like snows like i grew up in utah like utah like like snow ski racing and all that stuff is, it's like Italy, where it's like, you know, it's you see the athlete, you know, it's it's an individual based. Um, so when I finally got the opportunity to go to Italy, to sorry, to Europe, and and ski there, it's like, you know, like I'm going, I'm going to, I'm going to Europe. I'm, this is, I'm, I'm, to me, it was at the time, it was big time like big time i'm like I'm leaving the country to go do the sport that i I just learned how to do and uh, so that, I mean it's a big thing for me to get out break out, learn a new language or I, I didn't learn language but i mean like to experience a new language, experience what goes on water skiing wise outside the u s so
1: yeah. And I mean, let's not forget you had quite a ton of success abroad. Like you've had, you've had some wins. You finished one year where you were like number one ranked skier in the world. I mean, you had some, some solid success, but more personally, like what are some of the episodes that stand out? Like, for instance, like every time you come to ski the San Gervasio Pro-Am, you land in Switzerland and you drive through the Alps. And you know, I know there's much easier ways to get to my site. You could fly into Milan like everybody else. What is this fascination with Europe? Uh, So, I mean, I realized that people were flying
0: into Milan. That was like an hour and a half away from the site where we're going to ski at your place. And uh, what I realized is that you you could fly to Zurich, for example or Munich or you know like and it was three and a half hours and you could drive through I mean three three languages I mean I, like uh, maybe at that point I realized that I'm weird like I want to see the mountains I want to eat the cheese I want to talk to the people I, yeah. I mean and I realized I was a weird guy when I said that like, where did you fly into Milan or, did you, for, you know, told me we're only a half hour away or an hour away. and Or do you, you f- know, like, no, man, I, I flew into Zurich and do and three and a half hours down. It's like, why, why would you do that? I was like, well, I mean, I'm taking advantage of the situation. But you didn't really take advantage of the situation. You made your advantage worse. I mean, I don't have an explanation for it, but, like,
1: I was out to sea. Yeah, and, and I, I mean, I think that's brilliant, you know, like, let's face it, we're we're partaking into a sport where you're not going to be millionaire for the rest of your life, um, but you get to travel around the world and you're working nearly as hard as any other athlete to, you know, improve and, and be good at, what, at your craft, might as well see a part of the world that maybe you hadn't seen before or that you're very passionate about or that you want to learn more, more from, you know, like, I I think it's very honorable, honestly. That's,
0: that 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 is my passion. It's like, how can I see the world through water skiing, and via water skiing? So like that that was, how do I do that? Well, I figured that out. That's what I did.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure you have. And what are some of the places that you enjoyed the most that you got to see through skiing? You know what? There was um,
0: Ukraine. Ukraine was was wild. I mean, that was out there. I mean, any like Russian speaking territory, like so Ukraine or Russia and then there was uh, you know Korea was wild Korea I, I went there at least five times so what I I went over there the first time and then uh, I was I I, I kind of met up with a, a ski school that had a like a bar it's like on the river there and uh, and uh, I came back every year for at least five years and it, and it was amazing it was a really good situation and I'm I'm a uh explorative eater i guess uh, maybe that's a term for it but uh some people aren't in the u.s so
1: yeah oh yeah no for sure i mean like one of the first things that you said when you came to san giovanni this year was i'm staying in the in a agriturismo," right like in the uh, francia corta which is one of the most famous wine regions in the world like which you know again my thought was you're almost an hour from the site but then knowing you, you're like, no, I'm stoked to be here. You know, that's what I want to be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't come to Italy just for skiing, man. No, I, I, I bet. And a lot of people come to Italy beyond, like, for th- reasons beyond skiing, you know. It's, it's, it, I, in my vision, it's borderline rude that you would
0: come to a different country and uh, experience the culture. So,
1: Well... Well, and you have experienced a lot of them. I mean, from South Korea to Russia to Italy. I guess you've been to Australia. You've been to Australia? I've been to Australia. Yeah. I've been to Australia. Was it for the Mumba? Yeah. Well, obviously, Mumba, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Um, no, so, I mean, I, I think that's that's a fascinating way of using our sport to, you know, to explore the world. You know, like, there's people that don't even get to do that ever, you know, like, and not just. American people, European people, too, you know? Yeah. So what's... Because, um, you know, you, you've been doing this skiing thing for a while, you know? Um, what's something that keeps you going? Like, what is something that makes you want to go out of the lake and, and ski? Is it is it equipment still? Is it what brings you to the lake every day?
0: Is It, day? I'd say 95% of the... Der- of the reason I'm here is because of equipment and then the other five percent is camaraderie I mean I mean like my friends are here and the friends I keep are camaraderie ba- uh, sorry are like equipment based regarding camaraderie does that make sense so for example like I have Terry Winter and I have I mean I'll I'm aware of the friends I have and 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 that they like to adjust their equipment
1: yeah that's cool yeah I know I can see that you know like they, you guys share a common passion it's still within skiing you're still skiing at a super high level by the way uh, and yet the real interest is how do I make this piece of carbon and PVC a little bit better
0: as simple as it is it's it's, it's, it's not that simple like I mean like there's always something you can improve. you're always learning like it, it really keeps your brain moving it's it's crazy that like there still is improvement It's it's wild man it's
1: wild no I'm sure and and we see it every year which you know like brands of skis keep releasing new products and then like, trying to push the game and uh, making wild changes and then going back to what they used to do and then but just tweak it a little bit and I, I think it, yeah I think it it's enough of a change and in changing ever-changing environment to where you can stay I don't want to say stuck with it, but, like, stay passionate with it.
0: So I ski a lot with Chris Rossi, and we live in Utah together. And uh, he works for Radar Water Skis, and he's, you know, he'll, he'll tell me, like, his new stuff, like what he did and this and that. I'm like, man, and at the time, I can get jealous. And he will say something like, you know, like, you know, dude, I'm working in real time. Like, man, I like, we just cut this. I'm ready for the next one. I'm ready for the next one. And, you know, in my mind, I'm like, man, that's, that sounds like the real deal. It's like, I would love to be working in real time. It's like, boom, cut a mold, learn. Boom, cut a mold, boom, learn. But real-life situation is that, like, molds of aluminum are expensive, really expensive. And um, you make a ski, and it takes a whole summer to learn. You know, so a decade of evolution of skis, I mean, could be shortened very quickly, but it's not realistic. It's, it's,
1: it's, 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 it's not a bit interesting in the same token. Right. Because I guess, you know, the, because I was thinking, well, maybe if we sell more skis, then it would be more viable. But I guess the price of molds is not going to be dependent on how many skis you sell right um okay so nick i just want to thank you for this um I, I i just started this podcast i'm doing it for the growth of the sport which i'm, I'm pretty sure you're passionate about as well Um uh, see more people skiing see more people on the water as we watch someone you know walking by the lake um thank you so much for for doing this I hope we can get you back on the podcast in the future and um, yeah thanks a lot hey
0: Mateo anytime man